It's Experts Only. I'm your host, John Powers. I'm the co-founder of Clean Capital and serve as President Obama's Chief Sustainability Officer. On this podcast, we explore solutions to climate change by talking to industry leaders about the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. You can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. Welcome back to Experts Only. I'm your host, John Powers. Today, we are doing a really phenomenal sort of annual tradition we've done here now for the last six years, which is crazy. It's been six years. But we are talking about the Sustainable Energy in America Factbook. This is the 2023 edition. It's put out by the Business Council for Sustainable Energy and Bloomberg NEF every year. The data in this factbook is phenomenal, and it really helps highlight where the industry is today. But because they've been doing it for over a decade, you can really track the growth in the market over that last decade. Today, I'm going to talk to Lisa Jacobson, the president of Business Council for Sustainable Energy, and Ethan Zindler, the heads of America for Bloomberg NEF. Uh, this is the sixth time we've done this conversation, and each time looking both backwards and out of where the market is. But you can really get the fact book at bcse.org. This should be mandatory reading for anybody in the industry. It's really well put together. It's not very wonky. It's actually amazing data. You can use it in your everyday work. So please check it out. And as always, you can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. Lisa and Ethan, thanks so much for joining me at Experts Only. Oh, it's great to be back with you, John. So excited again to be talking about the Sustainable Energy in America Factbook. But before doing that, really want to take a moment and allow you to talk about the incredible organizations you run. Lisa, you're the president of the Business Council for Sustainable Energy. And for folks that don't know or aren't members, can you just talk a little bit about your work? Sure. The Business Council for Sustainable Energy is a U.S.-based trade association. We represent companies and other trade associations in the clean energy transition sectors. Our core sectors since our founding about 30 years ago have been energy efficiency, natural gas, and renewable energy. But now our members you know, span many different technology areas, including storage, sustainable transportation, and other deep decarbonization technologies, let's say you know, carbon capture and storage or hydrogen. I mean, the list goes on and they're all working together in an integrated fashion in the marketplace. That's a big change, and we'll probably get into that in our conversation. It's very exciting. And together, we work on federal policy, education, and advocacy. So the fact book is a big part of our mission and our collective work together. How have you seen your membership sort of change and grow over the last decade as you know more folks are being socialized to this issue and more leaders are stepping up in the corporate side? Well, there's definitely more players. And you know the Business Council is kind of a unique organization. We're not a primary trade association for any one sector. We're really a consortium. And we focus on things that sometimes take a number of years to deliver on. And clearly, you know, the legislative successes that we've had in the past couple of years are because of, you know, a decade or more of work. Not all companies um, can afford to invest in that kind of education and advocacy. So, you know, we're a unique group. And also our members really share this collective vision of a portfolio of technologies. It's gonna take many technologies, many of which our members represent today and that are readily available to go, but there'll be technologies and innovations that we can't anticipate. So we have to make sure that in our education and advocacy, we're developing policies that can be flexible over time to really deliver on the results and the public-private partnerships that we're gonna need. Excellent. And clearly this fact book helps make that, that helps educate those conversations for sure. 
uh, Ethan, you know, the first time I interviewed you, we, I actually use this quote a lot. You talked about how the industry went from uh, people with long hair, ponytails and jeans to, to suits, right? And you've sort of seen the evolution of the industry, but but uh, Bloomberg NEF has been a critical part in collecting the data and building the argument of where things are going. For folks that are, are not familiar, can you just talk a little bit about the organization and the history of the organization? Sure. Well, first, thanks for having us back, and thanks for still considering me an expert. I appreciate that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, Bloomberg NEF is a division of Bloomberg that provides um, market research and analysis and insights on what we would we call the energy transition, and that is defined uh, of all, across all the different technologies. We certainly started in renewables. Um, but we expanded out into batteries, electric vehicles. Uh, we focus a lot now on, on uh, some of the technologies that I think folks are hopeful are going to come along and make a bigger difference in the future, like hydrogen and CCS. Uh, and we also do a lot of research around um, more conventional fuels because they are certainly part of the picture um, as well. Um, so, yeah, no, we've seen an enormous evolution of the industry in the time that we've been around. You know, we started life as a firm called New Energy Finance all the way back in, I think, 2004, five, um, and, uh, and then grew and were acquired by Bloomberg and have been doing this for about the last uh, 13 years for Bloomberg now. So, um, um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating time, um, but kind of always is. And that's kind of the, the nice thing about our industry. It's always changing and, and expanding uh, and with new things happening. So the thing I love about the annual sort of fact book rollout you guys do is you're really laying out the um, the foundation of what so many people need to make the case both in the policy side like you guys are doing, but honestly, also in the corporate side, as we talk about where the trends are going, where the industry is going, you know, what was a catalyst to get this going and how have you seen the fact book uh, change over time? Well, I mean, it really started from a board meeting where we were lucky to have Ethan join us. Um, we were aware of the amazing work that he did, and it was really like best in class, especially for tracking renewable energy at the time. And we wanted to better understand what was going on in our industries. And we knew that there were changes occurring and changes occurring much more rapidly than they had been in the years before. And not just in renewables, but also in energy efficiency, clean generation, um, and and things that we could see that maybe small were poised for a lot of growth. And we couldn't find a resource that looked at some of those smaller areas, but also knit them all together and tried to provide a holistic view. And actually that still isn't happening. I think the fact book really is one of a few places where the story is told collectively, uh, as well as providing yeah. the individual components. So it was really out of that need. And then we had a you know conversations um, with Bloomberg NEF, and we came up with the fact book. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to me when I go through all the different data you highlight. There is um, some, someone who works in, on the electricity side, specifically like solar and storage. I'm, also, I'm often laser focused in that, so I'm constantly seeing updated numbers there. But when you start looking at EVs, you start looking at the natural gas, you start thinking about the investment piece, like you guys really comprehensively bring together the data around the the not just the clean energy transition in general, but the the climate the climate transition as well. So thank you for sort of thinking of it holistically, Ethan. With the 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 twenty three uh, fact book coming out, you know a lot of the trends that have been developed over the last few years. You know the the solutions are starting to get hardwired into the American conscious and the American mar marketplace. 
Like, what are the most exciting things that you saw coming out of this year's Factbook? So, that, so yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the theme that we tried to at least portray and a little bit of, is that there's a certain inevitability about this transition um, that is certainly taken hold. And the, you know, look, uh, for, for lack of a better way to describe it, last year was the most kind of normal year that you could say that we've had in the last several years. Yeah given the, the, the issues with, with, with COVID. Uh, and yet it was a, a unusual and challenging year specific to the energy sector um, because of the, the war in Ukraine, of course, um, and continuing pressure on prices um, as we came out of COVID uh, and supply chain you know, constraints started to ease. So there were some unique things that, that made life more challenging within our sector, which I think you probably well know, John. And, and, um, but nonetheless, um, overall, you know, the, the results suggest that there's a sort of inevitability um, to the kind of success that we're now starting to see um, in, the in, in the industry. I mean, in particular, you, you, I kind of look at the bottom line, which is sort of the, the, the rate of adoption in the most literal sense. And, and if you look at the, the volume of renewables now, uh, about 23% of total generation in the United States last year came from renewable sources. Um, if you include nuclear, then you have a zero carbon a uh, chunk of the U.S. energy power supply that is about 40% zero carbon. If you throw natural gas in there, you're up to about 80%, um, and coal now um, below 20%. Um, so, so, you know, we are seeing lower carbon technologies really um, take over, in many ways, the power sector, and that kind of transitioning is is well underway. One other little tidbit that I'll just throw Can I pause in. you for a second, Ethan? There's a yeah. color-coded graph in the report every year, and I, yeah. I steal it and use it in a presentation I do, that shows, you know, red, blue, whatever they're, and it, you see the level of coal over the last 10 years, just, and it just absolutely uh, gets squashed. And, and each, each of those levels, as you said, 20% for renewables, there's folks a few years ago, never thought we'd reach that threshold. And here we are today, just in the verge of not just passing it but blowing through it so no it's it's an amazing it's amazing we'll probably i mean probably if we have another decent year this year we'll probably get to about a quarter of our power source coming from renewable energy um potentially by the end of this year which is pretty remarkable you think about absolutely where we came from and basically all of the almost all of the delta we went from about 10 percent you know 10 12 percent in 2012 to now almost all that the, the addition uh, has been wind and solar with some geothermal and biomass and other stuff as well, but it's been mostly wind and solar. Yeah, so I wanna stick with Ethan for one more question. I'm gonna come back to Lisa. Specifically, I wanna focus on the investment side, Ethan, for a second. And you know, years ago, Ceres put out a report that we needed a trillion dollars of investment to keep ourselves below the two degrees uh, centigrade threshold. And again, for a long time, people were, thinking this would never happen. They may, we may never get there. Uh, we, we, we hit that target this year for the first time in a unique way. We, maybe not as comprehensively as series lays out, but in the numbers of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars moving into this marketplace today is, is pretty monumental. Can you talk a little bit about what you saw this, this round? And how yeah, changed. I mean, it is remarkable, and uh, and and to put some numbers with that, I mean, we saw 1.1 trillion dollars uh, in what we would call energy transition investment last year worldwide. Um, some interesting trends, sort of beneath that, but overall, when you look at the kind of growth rate, we're talking about, you know, we were at a number closer to about 200 billion about 10 years ago. So uh, a, a quintupling more than that uh, over that period of time, um, you know. 
that's the great news. Uh, and then put some U.S. numbers out there, too, about, about $141 billion in investment in the United States, up from about, oh, about $30 billion 10 years ago. So, you know, again, more than a quadrupling um, in the U.S. specifically. Um, so there's been incredible um, progress. Uh, and uh, that's the great news. Uh, the less great news is that it's it's still definitely not enough. So yeah. uh, even if a trillion used to be the right number, it's definitely not the right number now. Um, you know, in our view, and we've been looking at the various um, you know, the various forecasts that are out there from the IPCC and others. And to get to a net zero scenario, you need to be probably averaging about four trillion a year by 2030. Um, and, four trillion. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not, we're definitely not there yet, but there is the potential for a lot of growth. And, and one of the reasons is to go beneath the hood for one second, literally and figuratively about the numbers, about half of the investment or a little less than half, I should say, um, was invest in what we would call, uh, you know, we're calling it investment, but it's actually revenues generated from the sale of electric vehicles. So in the US, we sold almost a million EVs last year. And so that number could continue to rise very quickly going forward as the number of EVs around the world gets rises, you know, very rapidly. And we, and we, we project that that will happen. And we are, I mean, we're, look, we're definitely seeing way more, comp- as, a, as, a, as clean capital, right? We're seeing way more competition in the equity markets coming into assets. You're seeing clean tech VC funds, um, you know, Hanover Fisk growing every year. There's a lot of money. It'll be interesting to see with the current situation with the banks, how the debt markets continue to tighten and whether, you know, when and debt's being provided, you know, where are those uh, those dollars going to? And, you know, hopefully we can continue to make the argument that should be coming into these assets. Um, but I think this, this year in particular, it's going to be really interesting to see what role that plays on, on deals and capital flow. So, Lisa, as you know, you guys have been making these arguments for years to policymakers. The um, last year was the third most costly year uh, because of climate disasters. Do you, does that resonate with policymakers, or are they sort of they don't even think about things in those terms? Are they more worried about where uh, their dollars are going to, or do they recognize that the demand? from sort of the cultural side of uh, this issue being driven by things like disasters is really pushing them to be more aggressive? Well, I mean, I, I think it's it's shifted. You know, I think a few years ago, you know, you mentioned series. I mean, series and other groups, you know, if I go back five, seven years ago, you know, let's focus on the cost of inaction, right? There was a big yeah. movement to discuss that. But, and we knew there was a lot of expense and taxpayer dollars going to to help communities after a disaster. But like that was a new idea, right? Like in policymaking, you have to factor in the cost of inaction. Well, now I think that's that is factored in, but and the scale of it just unfortunately continues to rise. But I think it's much more the community impact that people are seeing all over the country. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we had over three million people had to be evacuated according uh, to government data, you know, due to disasters just last year. I mean, that it's happening everywhere and, and people are seeing it much more visibly. Um, and then, you know, obviously with social media, you know, it takes it's a second to see, you know, kind of flooding in a street and cars and people stranded. It's just, you know, it, unfortunately, it's horrible and it's more visible to policymakers and, you know, the disruptions to the business community and, Obviously, we're all more sensitized now to disruptions because of COVID. I mean, we've had the most significant 
disruption to our lives than yeah. anyone um, would have dreamed we would have experienced. So there's a, you know, the, I think people have a natural tendency now to think of readiness. So um, I think for all those reasons, policymakers are definitely more attuned to it and are concerned because we just don't have the time and the capital readily available to be be making these really significant um, rebuilds and infrastructure right. improvements. So it's important. So, yeah. So um, to stick with the policy piece for a second, you know, what's what's interesting, I mean, for the great trends in this report, we're not even we're not even starting to see the impact yet of the IRA, the the, uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which I always combine with the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. Like that was passed, all passed last year, but the dollars are just starting to flow. The framework for the policy for those dollars are just starting to flow. How do you see that steroid injection over the next few years of infrastructure into the grid, uh, electric vehicle? Uh, um, uh, infrastructure for incentives to do more renewables and energy efficiency and, and you know, natural gas. Like, what do you, what do you see that steroid injection doing for these trends over the next few years? Well, I could just maybe talk about the policy for a minute and then let yeah, please. go into maybe more of his perspective on the trends. But I mean, we've wanted a broad-based policy that was in sync with the business cycle of these industries. And now we have it and we have it in multiple parts, right? You mentioned the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, you know, the most expansive research development and deployment investment from the federal government that we've ever had. And again, right. it's not just for one or two technologies. I mean, it probably spans 20 plus technologies and then they can integrate together through programs focused on modernizing our grid or, you know, transportation, as you said. So they're really thinking about value chains. And there is a really good graphic in the fact book that shows you the breakout of different technologies and how much money are from these two bills. And then you have the Inflation Reduction Act, which- Can largely, I pause you? I think yeah. people think of one and the other. That was the first time I've seen them in a really ex wonderful explanation of how they combine. Right? This is the impact this is going to have. Like It's not, we have one good bill and then is it a different bill? Like These are actually a partnership, right? Driving the transition Definitely. change. I mean, that's- that's the hope, right? You know, and that's right. the period we're in now is making them partner and leverage each other. But then, as you said, the Inflation Reduction Act is largely, oh, you know, 270 billion, I believe, Ethan, right, in tax credits. It's, and again, for many technologies and over a period of time where they can be used and businesses can plan. So that to me is the most significant aspects of these particular bills. And I think that, you know, we can't really predict the dynamic impacts they will have. Right now, it's a little messy because we're yeah. still waiting for guidance in a number of areas that will kind of set the rules of the road. But that will all settle out in the next few years. And then we'll start to see, you know, really the vision of where this could go. But I'll stop there and let Ethan comment. No, that's helpful. Uh, I mean, uh, not too much to add other than, you know, this is certainly without question the most, uh, I mean... I would argue that the IRA on its own is the most meaningful piece of climate legislation the U.S. has ever passed. But if you combine that with the IIJA, it's really quite a, quite a remarkable achievement. And um, and and now, as Lisa says, the 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 it's all about implementation and um, and how the rules get written and and where we go from here. 
Um, but one, you know, look, and, and the devil or the angels will, will be in the details uh, coming up uh, in many cases. But nonetheless, we're already seeing, you know, market impact. One thing we, we didn't get in the fact book, but we've been tracking it uh, at BNF is that just since the, you know, since Biden put, you know, pen to paper and signed the law in August of 2022, we've seen $52 billion so far in new manufacturing announcements for batteries. Yeah. Uh, for EVs in the United States, um, that's those are you know real announcements. Uh, let's be clear, you know I, I imagine some of them may have been in motion before the, the law was passed, but nonetheless, um, it's really impressive um, how much um, activity we've already started to see. Um, you know, our view is that it does, uh, you know, you know, assuming that the rules get written, you know, generally, uh, you know, correctly, it does represent a step change in terms of the amount of new build that we're going to see for renewables going forward and for and for battery adoption, especially given some of the specific help that it provides for batteries. Um, and we think we see, you know, a substantial amount of growth. Um, I would say the only caution I would say is that, you know, if we again, and, and I always mean to sound like a, you know, a downer here, but it's always about the ultimate goal, which is if we want to address climate change, we really need to be building about twice as much just in the renewable side. We need to be building about twice as much stuff a year as we are. We're averaging about 35 gigawatts of capacity build a year somewhere in that neighborhood, 30 to 35. It needs to be probably 70 to 80 if yeah. you want to truly decarbonize the power sector by 2035, which is the Biden administration's stated goal. So there's there's a lot of work to be done. And we and we think this represents a step change. Um, going forward, and so it, it's it's it is pretty it is a pretty remarkable um, achievement, um, and and it, I, it you know obviously it wasn't easy, uh, and congratulations yeah. to those who, who who made it happen. It's interesting to talk. I mean, as we like we, as we are putting projects in the ground, right? We are seeing today the supply chain challenges of deals that we're ready to fund today that we can't get transformers on for twelve months, right? And as and or we're we're looking at the tariff prices. That are being talked about coming back, right? And we're all excited about American manufacturing, but those facilities are just being announced. We're not, they're not going to be putting product out for at best two years, right? So this this is a really interesting gap we're in right now, where like these phenomenal um, announcements have made the policies are coming, the dollars are flowing, but getting that to projects in the ground is still you know a few years out. Um, but I think luckily the industry is no longer in. Are we going to make it this year? And we're all looking out, right? And investing out long-term. So with that, Lisa, thinking about your members, right? Um, and how they look at this data and think about what they're doing in their own operations. You know, uh, the some of the conversation around sort of the, the electrification of everything and the digitalization of everything. You know, I had a conversation with a warehouse owner recently because we were looking to do some solar with them. And they, they, uh, they lease to uh, a, a major company most folks know of who are also electrifying their vehicles. And he said, the challenge we have is we can't get enough power to this warehouse, not just for the operations, but then to run their electric vehicles too on top of that. It's just a whole different change to the demand. How are your members starting to think through these trends and how it affects their operations? Well, I think number one, you hit the most important part is they're thinking about it. I mean, yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, and it's not just, you know, members around, you know, companies around the business council's table who in many cases have been very forward leaning on net zero targets or corporate procurement of renewables, or they're you know, very active in supplying and, and helping industry do this. So it's really spreading out um, into our economy. And you know, there's a, many drivers for that. And 
you know, just to go back to the fact book for a moment, you know, given all, you just made a really good point about some experiences you're having with some of your clients and things that you'd like to do as a company and some of the challenges you face. But even with that, corporate procurement figures, you know, we had another record-breaking year last year. And yeah. you'd say, well, how is that possible, right? And yes, we still have the tech, some of the tech leaders, but it's it's a diverse, growing, diverse group of players that want to get involved. Um, and Every quarter we're seeing new folks come in. It's amazing. Right. So, I mean, that's really exciting. The challenges that you described are there. I hear that around our leadership table. Every time we have a board meeting, you know, we take time to kind of, okay, what's going on? And, you know, you hear about supply chain challenges and issues with pricing and, and how it's hard to kind of, you know, close deals given a range of factors. So that's all there, but it hasn't changed the direction. And actually that's what they're right. asking us to do, right? Both to policymakers and to, um, you know, the public in our work is, you know, we're committed to the transition, but it's not going to be a linear transition. It's going right. to be a little bumpy along the way. And that's irrespective of like getting guidance on things like the Inflation Reduction Act, irrespective of that, given where we are with our markets and kind of what we need to accomplish in these next two or three phases it, with infrastructure, with integration, with sustainable transportation, all these things coming together, it's a lot of change. And so it's going to be a little bumpy sometimes, but that doesn't mean that we're not still headed towards that goal. Yeah. I mean, if, if, again, when we started talking about the looking back 10 years ago when we, versus looking forward a little bit, the fact that those um, companies you've talked about actually have dedicated energy procurement shops today, none of those existed 10 years ago. They just all paid their utility, right? <laughs> that shift to how we are buying power and managing power at the corporate level is 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 amazing and i think will help continue to accelerate all the stuff we're doing forward so i do as we're getting close to the the end here i just want to look out now um and you know i'm not going to ask you to make predictions for next year i think i've done that in the past uh, i mean listen to other episodes but i don't do a good job of going back and holding you accountable for them anyway so i'd rather look out to, to the end of 2030 and and think like with the work that you've been doing for this for the last decade and the trend lines that have been created, you know, what needs to change going forward so we can hit the the goals we need to hit for 2030? Is there any specific things you hope to see in place in the coming years on a policy side, Lisa, that could help drive it? Or do we have the foundation in place because of the IRA in the infrastructure bill, for instance, to do that? Well, those are extremely important foundations. And in the absence of that, there wouldn't probably be the impetus to do the other things that we need to do. Yeah. And I'll just name a couple. Um, I mean, I think we still need to transform our market structures as it relates to the energy system in the United States. I mean, we still are not really valuing the full benefit of certain energy services, and it's not easy to procure them and use them in an interactive way. So, you know, yeah. you mentioned electric vehicles, or we could talk about grid integrated grid efficient integrated buildings and, you know, demand re response and, and just, you know, being able to activate that part of our energy economy when we need to. And actually when, when we have had markets that, that allow that, like looking at California last summer and to some degree, Texas, when you put that call out and people respond and then we get more batteries and storage uh, in place, 
you know, we can manage a lot of very tight situations, but we don't have that uniformly. And it doesn't have to only be in a crisis. Like we could be using that as a resource. So, I mean, there's a, there's lots of aspects of our regulatory structures that are largely driven at state level that need to be updated. And we've been talking about that for 10 or 15 years, right? So more needs to be done there. And then secondly, we need to be able to move faster to, to build infrastructure in the United States. And that's not just a federal um, issue. It is federal, state, local, and then back up again, local, state, regional, federal. Like there needs to be better alignment um, and more streamlined processes to ensure both the communities are heard and that we're protecting our environment, but we, we can't take five to 10 years to, to build out individual pieces of infrastructure. We're never gonna get to our goals unless we change that. And right. so we're working on both of those areas at the business council. And, and Ethan, so the same question to you, looking back at the phenomenal trends we've guys have been able to, to I think both assist in creating, but also clearly track with the, the fact book, you know, what do you see that's critical for us to get to our 2030 goals here uh, the next couple of years? And is it capital? Is it is it technology? Is it just implementation and getting shit in the ground? Um, I, you know, I, I think it's probably, it's some combination, but, but I mean, the, the volumes of capital have been pretty remarkable. So I don't mean to say like, okay, we're done there, but like, yeah. like there's plenty of money at the moment, historic compared to sort of historically that, uh, again, on thinking in terms of the number of funds that have been raised and the amount of capital that, that now is trying to get deployed that, 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 that to me at least doesn't feel like the problem though, John, you're closer to it than I am. Um, I, I would say that the, um, the, 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 the concern that I have as a bottleneck is, is transmission and permitting. And, um, you know, we, we've looked at, you know, we've done our projections or in our, in our um, um, different for, potential forecasts around renewable build. And, and, you know, we do see a step change thanks to the IRA, you know, assuming that the rules all get written in a, you know, in a reasonable way. Um, but we see a limiting factor in terms of um, how much can get built. In, 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 let's put it this way. The limiting factor of how much will get built in the U.S. over the next seven, eight years will have less to do with the cost competitiveness of renewables and much more to do with whether or not you can actually just get on the grid. And that is, right. a, that is, a, that is a substantial issue and is the one area, it is the one area that if you were to kind of pick on, on the IRA and even the, the infrastructure law, um, where, where you could have said there could have been more to support um, um, transmission. There is no tax credit um, sort of to, 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 right. open, to, to support transmission in an open-ended kind of way, the way there is, a, there is money in the infrastructure um, law, but it's not, to be honest with you, it's, it's kind of peanuts compared to the, the size of the, the challenge that's out there. So that's, that's an area that I think we look at as, as, uh, as a potential limiting factor, but nonetheless, you know, Again, we see really strong growth. I think it'd be hard to, to kind of hit some of the goals that have been set, but but not impossible. Yeah. Um, and and the last thing I would just say is that you know we we've talked obviously a lot about the power sector today. There has been um, you know incredible uh, progress being made on in, in transportation. Um, if you look at a, a, about a million EVs sold last year, or a million cars sold with a plug, I should say that's both pure EVs and plug-in hybrid EVs. 
um, you know, that's, we, we sell somewhere between, I don't know, 14 to 18 million um, vehicles per year in the United States. So that's, that's coming up on a decent, it was about 7%, uh, 7% of cars sold last year. We think that continues to grow. So ultimately, you know, emissions from the transportation sector are due to, to start, you know, to continue to, to decline. And, and uh, emissions from the power sector have declined very dramatically over the last 10 years because of the trends we talked about earlier. Industry is really the area now, and ag, but industry in particular is an area that I think um, we really need to all focus on. And there are some really important supports within the IRA around thinking about hydrogen and CCS. And, um, and in, in, in some ways, from my mind, from a policy perspective, those might be the most interesting because Look, extending the ITC or the investment tax credit or the PTC, the production tax credit for wind and solar is, is great. It's very effective. It's not really complicated policy to implement, right? You just right, gotta, right. You just lengthen the line. These are new, these are new things. So there are some new stuff in the IRA and, and how those get rolled out are really is really going to be important. And given that we have seen basically very little progress on decarbonizing industry. Um, that's the one that I, I feel like we, you know, I really hope we see some real progress on going forward. But the, the progress both in, in power and in transportation, those seem to my mind almost certain to, to continue and accelerate over the next you know, seven or eight years. Yeah, I, one thing I tell you to watch out for is, is being talked about all over the industry right now is transferability and how that how that gets implemented and what that's going to do to accelerate the, the, the tax credit work. Because I feel like there was a, you know, continued uh, the last few years of anxiety about how much actual capital there was to or tax credits there were to go out there into this yep. space, and that that will be a really important catalyst, I think, to getting more things in the ground. So, yeah, I think that the the rules are are, are to be written about that. I think there's yeah, for a, sure. Early announcement yeah. from Treasury the other day about a registry of some sort, but um, there's a, there's a lot to be um, to be determined. And yeah, given that basically there are so many tax credits within the IRA and, and we were focusing on the ones that, which are around build, building the large scale wind and solar projects, but there are a bunch for manufacturing as well, which are really yeah. um, the volume of, of so-called tax equity that could be required to fund all this is, 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 is potentially enormous. I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, listen, I, we, I could talk to you guys all day about this. So first of all, thank you so much for the time. Uh, and thank you for doing this every year and helping educate folks. Uh, you can go to uh, bcsc.org to get the latest 2023 fact book and always sign up so you get it every year uh, and become members of BCSC if you're not. Uh, so we really appreciate the incredible work and the data you guys put out every year. And thank you so much for coming back. Oh, thank you. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. And want to thank the teams at both Business Council for Sustainable Energy and Bloomberg NEF for helping to put this together, uh, not just the fact book, but the episode. And to our producer, Colin Young, you can always get more episodes at cleancapital.com. Look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks. Thanks.